In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Today we celebrate the solemnity of Jesus' body and blood, affectionately and traditionally called the Feast of Corpus Christi, the Feast of the Body of Christ. And we simply begin our prayer savoring that opening formula, my Lord and my God. That prayer was declared by St. Thomas the Apostle. I say declared because upon touching the wounds of the resurrected Jesus, he declared or proclaimed that not only was Jesus human, but he was divine. He took that leap of faith and went beyond his humanity and made that act of faith my Lord and my God. We ask the Lord to intensify our faith so that we see beyond mere appearances, in this case the appearance of bread and wine, and that residing under those properties, if you will, we have the real Jesus. Truly Jesus in his body, blood, soul, and divinity. It's a mystery of faith that boggles the mind. But nevertheless, we observe how popular Eucharistic adoration is and how profoundly helpful that is. I was sharing notes regarding work with young people, campus ministry. And this one woman involved with youth ministry on the West Coast began to tell me encouraging facts about her work. And she said that she organized Eucharistic adoration on a Saturday night, and I was ready to interrupt her, saying that that may not be the most ideal time to have Eucharistic adoration for young people, college-age people. They're usually whooping it up or partying on a Saturday night. And I was ready to suggest, how about a Thursday night? That's even the day that the Eucharist was instituted. And she made it clear to me that even on that Saturday night, she, or our Lord in the Eucharist, drew 150 young people on a Saturday night. Perhaps they would party and celebrate after the Eucharistic adoration. They spent an hour. And she made it clear to me 
that this is like a magnet for young people as long as they are instructed. And we see this throughout the country. What a magnet Eucharistic adoration is. But we ask the Lord to help us through the eyes of faith to see through the appearance of bread and wine and encounter Jesus himself. I recall often leafing through lives of the saints. And in one particular instance, I noticed a common denominator. Amid the radical diversity of the saints, all of them, to a man and to a woman, had two common traits. Ardent devotion to the Holy Eucharist and deep devotion to the Blessed Mother. Those were two common characteristics of these saints that span centuries. I recall when I was studying for the priesthood in Rome many years ago now, so many years ago, it was right at the time that St. John Paul was elected Pope. And there was a lot of uh, jubilant anxiety, maybe that's the right phrase. First non-Italian Pope from a communist country at that time, relatively young for a Pope in his 50s, What's this man all about? And the senior cardinal, Cardinal Wyszynski, who was interviewed after he was elected, stated that it was difficult in a brief interview to do justice to this new pope. But at the same time, he could encapsulate the sentiments and the mindset of the new pope and i recall he said on tv in this interview he is a man who kneels before the blessed sacrament that his talks his addresses his pastoral work find their source their center in the holy eucharist and hence I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the exact words, but in the face of the Blessed Sacrament, the Blessed Sacrament exposed in a monstrance, John Paul said, in that little white wafer or in that little white host, the problems of the world are solved. Well, Lord, we want to unpack that. What does the Eucharist have to do with solving the world's problems? Well, first of all, the Eucharist has 
a very powerful effect on the disciples of Jesus. We need to be careful because the sacraments, as powerful as they are, their encounters with Christ, they're not, we're not automatically converted or transformed. The sacraments always work as long as the uh, priests recite the formula and have the intentions of the, the intention of the church. In other words, if I say the words of the consecration with the intention of at least implicit of changing that bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus, and saying those words with bread and wine, well, that's the Eucharist. Whether I am tremendously focused or distracted or very lukewarm about the Eucharist, as long as I say those words with the intention to consecrate the body and blood of Christ, that true presence of Jesus is there. But St. Augustine brings up another component of sacramental life and that is we receive graces according to our desires according to our dispositions the better the dispositions the greater the effect greater the transformation i mean that applies to normal ordinary human activity Who's going to master a foreign language? Well, that man or woman who desires the most to master that language, and those desires will be expressed in hard work. St. Augustine, if I'm not mistaken, uses the idea of approaching an ocean or a river, and there's plenty plentiful amount of water for everyone but the one who has a greater capacity to fetch the water will obtain more water whether it's a thimble or or a glass or a bucket or or a barrel or a tank the water's there for the taking but the capacity to take it is different jesus says in his longest discourse that the Eucharist gives life to the world. It gives, it satisfies hunger, hunger for joy, hunger for meaning, hunger for hope, hunger for love. The Eucharist satisfies those deep longings. And again, we go back to this key truth articulated by St. Maria. The humility of Jesus in Bethlehem, in Nazareth, on Calvary, but still more humiliation, more self-abasement in the most sacred host, more than in the stable, more than in Nazareth, more than on the cross. That is why I must love the Mass so, our Mass Jesus. So here's another saint who explains, well, there he is, greater humiliation or in a certain sense, greater service than when he washed the feet of his apostles. He's there waiting for us to transform us, to transmit his life, 
his joy, his wisdom, his strength, his sanctity. And it gives life to the world because to the, to the degree that we are centered on the Holy Eucharist, to that degree we become like Christ. Now, we don't just receive the Eucharist routinely or show up for Mass and Communion as if it's part of our Sunday routine. It's important that it be part of the Sunday routine, but it can't be a routine with a checklist mentality. I need to want to receive the Lord with more ardor, more devotion. And what happens? Well, the more I am focused on him, the more I make the Eucharist the center of my mind and heart, the more I become like him. It gives life to the world. The secret of the saints, and we see these modern saints, you know, we could take our pick, Mother Teresa, St. John Paul, St. Jose Maria, Padre Pio. Their secret was not their gifts or their organizational skills or their charisma with people, whether they had it or not. It depended on the Eucharist, the Eucharist transforming them. And that's why they're saints, because they would improve in the dispositions with which they received Holy Communion. I was having a conversation the other day and this elderly woman in a physical sense but certainly not in a spiritual sense the spiritual sense just the opposite very young in spirit consistently every year would bring sometimes 50 children to confession because on her own she would train them, instruct them in order to receive their first communion. She would draw in the parents as well and she would catechize these children in her neighborhood who would not be catechized otherwise. And she's brought many, she's given me a lot of work because also she was preparing these kids each year to make their first confession. And that that yearly incident of bringing many people to confession came up in a conversation and finally I connected the dots. This lady spends a lot of time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Not in an inordinate way, she has a job, but she's very generous and draws her strength, her joy, her wisdom before the tabernacle. She spends, that's her priority, time with Jesus, 
in some parishes, they have resurrected that beautiful custom of Corpus Christi procession. That's tremendous meaning, especially now in this period of time. After Mass, the Blessed Sacrament is put into a monstrance. It comes from a Latin word, which means to exhibit or to show. And then with the monstrance, there's a procession through the neighborhood. There's maybe five stops, more or less, at makeshift altars where there's benediction, special prayers, maybe a homily, and then the procession proceeds. It's a beautiful custom. People are looking out their windows, lining up the streets. I'm sure it's a source of consternation for people who are not believers seeing this procession happen. But it symbolizes the modern apostle who is called to be like the apostles of the early church. The modern apostle is a light of Christ in the heart of the family, at the workplace, at socializing occasions, on the sports field. We must be a living gospel with everyone we meet in every venue in which, he, in which we find ourselves. And it's the Eucharist, the holiness, the joy that must be processed within the intimacy of our families, at our workplace, when we socialize, if we are up for it, when we play sports. That's what the procession symbolizes. The symbolize, it symbolizes the layperson who should be a living monstrance of Christ. That is why Jesus says that you are the light of the world. You are the leaven in the mass. You are the salt of the earth. Let's have that very much clear in our minds that our knack for spreading the gospel is intimately linked with the Blessed Sacrament, with communion, with the Mass, with Eucharistic piety, Eucharistic adoration. Perhaps this says it all. I entered into this church where I was supposed to see it here couple hours of confession. And there was a lady with a baby in her arms riveted on the tabernacle and intermittently she would hug and kiss her little baby who probably was a little bit less than two years of age and she would stare at the tabernacle. Then after 
some moments of intense staring back to the little baby and hug him and kiss him, then back to being riveted on the tabernacle. And I saw in that behavior, in that alternation of hugging the little boy and looking at the tabernacle, as an encapsulation of our work of evangelization. We pray, we spend time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. We make the Blessed Sacrament our rendezvous point and we transmit the actual love of Christ to others. We refuel ourselves in the actual love of Jesus through spending time before the Blessed Sacrament and spending time receiving the Eucharist, spending time after Mass, if our schedule allows it, to give thanks for this presence of Jesus in our very selves. Today's Gospel obviously points to the Eucharist as it transcends space and time. There was no limit to how much Jesus could have done in this distribution of bread and fish. But I would like to extend the allegorical meaning of the multiplication of the loaves and the fish to our personal witness of Christ, our personal ability to spread the gospel. And through the Eucharist, we, or the Lord, can accomplish the impossible. What's going on as we recreate the scene, there's throngs of people. They're isolated in a desert place. Jesus, who's brimming with compassion, wants these people to be fed. And it's a lonely place. And let me just read a little bit of the gospel. As the day was drawing to a close, the twelve approached him and said, Dismiss the crowd so that they could go to the surrounding villages and farms and find lodging and provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. And he reacts quite mysteriously. He said to them, Give them food yourselves. You feed this symbol of the world, whatever it is, 5,000 men, not counting women and children. You yourselves feed them. Jesus telling each of us individually, you yourselves feed others with the truth of Christ, the heart of Christ, with the word of Christ. Be a living gospel for the entire world, for every person you meet. 
And so it's Jesus who says, you do it. In reality, he does it through us. How do we engage him? Proverbs 23, 26 says, son or daughter, give me your heart. Lord, these five loaves and two fishes, in the greater scheme of things, especially in the face of thousands of people, amount to zero, amount to nothing. What's five loaves and two fish going to do, as the apostles themselves say, in the face of so many? They replied, five loaves and two fish are all we have. And Jesus, in another gospel, says, what are these among so many? And we see that the power to extend this kingdom doesn't depend on a certain methodology or a -a phonathon or many volunteers knocking on doors. This work of transformation is predicated upon giving up those five loaves and two fish. It's not John's gospel, it's Luke's gospel, but in John's gospel, when he narrates this miracle of multiplying the loaves of the fish, it's mentioned that a young man there, a boy, was asked, it was implied, he was asked to give all that he had. And when you're in a deserted place, and a little bit cold and hungry, you don't want to give up your lunch. And this young man, he gave his all his possessions. And those five loaves and two fish signify my whole heart that Jesus' presence in the Eucharist is the biggest priority of my life, that that's my rendezvous point, that's where I get nourished, that's my oasis, that's the fueling station of love. And when we think about, well, how can I connect more intimately with the Eucharist, I need to foster that desire of of generously putting him first, perhaps going to daily Mass, and quoting another person who was going to Mass every day and then got the flu and needed to stop going until he recovered. And he said uh, what another gentleman said, what another woman said, that I feel weakened without the Eucharist. There's a real need to get back to Mass as soon as I'm recovered. There's a need. It gives me strength to love. It gives me strength to bear the cross. It gives me a certain joy if I go there with devotion. And those five loaves and two fish 
signify getting up earlier to go to Mass, making good use of our time so that we can afford the time to invest in Mass, which is not that much either. Giving those five loaves and two fish may mean, if we can, to detain ourselves after Mass for a few minutes and give thanks. It could mean also arriving before Mass and spending time before the Blessed Sacrament as opposed to arriving a couple of minutes late, huffing and puffing with the idea, well, at least I got Mass in. That's a valid response, but we could do a lot better. We're talking about a complete transformation in our own selves so that that transformation is transmitted to my family and my colleagues. Well, let's end our prayer going to the Blessed Virgin Mary, St. John Paul referred to her as the woman of the Eucharist. Let's pray to the woman of the Eucharist and ask her to help us see how can I express more piety, more faith, more purity, more devotion, so that I'd be a brighter light of Christ for my family, for my friends, and for my acquaintances. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.